All right, Jazz is backstage pass, reggae style. Let's do it. All right, and welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Zimmerman. My guest today is pianist Monty Alexander, a Grammy-nominated artist whose virtuosic skill at the keyboard and vibrant personality have been packing concert halls around the world for decades. Born in Kingston, Jamaica in 1944, Alexander moved to the States as a teenager and has since become an American jazz hero, having played alongside luminaries of the genre like Milt Jackson, Ray Brown, Quincy Jones, Frank Sinatra, and many others. But he still holds Jamaica in his heart. His vast discography, which reaches back to 1964, showcases a repertoire spanning a broad range of jazz and Jamaican musical expressions, from the American songbook and the blues to gospel, bebop, calypso, and reggae. His latest album is Warwicka Hill, Rasta Monk Vibrations, a delightfully imaginative, unique, and compelling interpretation of the music of Thelonious Monk. It's been described as a mind-boggling collective of classic monk songs infused with a sensibility that melds the worlds of jazz, ska, and reggae into a unique melting pot of monk with a twist. It's due out August 23rd on MACD Records. In this episode, we'll hear Monty tell us about the making of the new album, as well as share some of his favorite reggae and ska artists from when he was a kid growing up in Jamaica. Uh, He'll also tell us about the time he was discovered by Frank Sinatra in a small bar in Miami while playing for a, of all things, Frank Sinatra impersonator. It's a fascinating interview and I know you're going to love it. We're going to get into it in a minute, but first I'd like to thank Kobuzz.com, a streaming service that offers the most comprehensive CD quality hi-fi catalog in the world and the largest selection of streaming music in studio quality high-res. You can enjoy unlimited streaming of all your music starting from just $9.99 per month with no strings attached. Just visit on.cobuzz.com slash jazzes. That's on.cobuz.com slash jazzes to learn more. All right, without further ado, let's take it backstage with Monty Alexander. You know, I wanted to start right off the top with the new recording. Um, and I want to make sure yeah. I'm pronouncing it right, uh, too. Is it Warika Hill? It's really simply said Warika Hill. Warika and then we checked on the correct, we used to say W A R I C K A, Warika. And then we looked and it said, no, it was actually with an E in there. So it's Warika, Warika. Warika Hill was this hill right next to the house that I grew up and lived in, in an area where the Rastafarian guys, who I first was exposed to, like eight year old kid, I see them going up the hill with wood, big pieces of wood to go chop the wood and, and make fires so they could praise their concept of the supreme being, of God, Ja Rastafari. Mm-hmm. The whole thing that was about the Rastafarian movement, perhaps you know some about, something about that. Mm-hmm. That was, And I just had a vision, like a kid's world, that when I heard a musician who was a Rastafarian telling me about Monk, how unusual and eccentric and different he was. I remember just as a kid thinking, man, he made me think I'm a, like he's a Rasta man, the way, the way he saw a picture of him, and I, I said, man, that guy's different, you know? So I had that feeling from I was very young, and it, it, it kind of 
crystallized about three years ago when I said, man, I want to take, I want to take Monk to Jamaica. <laughs> I want to take Thelonious to Jamaica. I want to ha- lead him by the hand down to some of these areas where he, he will feel very comfortable. And I found out that Thelonious grew up in, as a kid in North Carolina, Rocky Mount, North right. Carolina. But then I discovered that he actually came to New York. He's, he's a young, young man. And he lived in a neighborhood which was all West Indians, English-speaking West Indians, not, not the Latino, Hispanic, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Santo Domingo, that. No, the Jamaicans, the Barbadians, the Trinidadians, the thing. So he's grown up hearing all those. Yep. They're playing the records at home, the 78 records and the radio, and they hear the Calypso music and they hear the island songs. And right. when, you, when I heard all of those tunes that Thelonious wrote, the, the, the tempo songs, the you know, the various tunes that had a, a rhythm to it. I heard a calypso feeling, calypso meaning, you know, island rhythm in all of them. And it made me think that that whole West Indian community had rubbed off on Thelonious in his incredible mind, musical, artistic mind. So I said, this is a marvelous, natural, organic uh, come together. And that's what I started doing. And I said, we're going to play this tune, we're going to play that tune. And I said, let's do it like this, let's do it like that. And I had my Jamaican musicians in the studio, and I had my swinging cats in the studio. And we just went at it with, with about 15 songs, and this, the result is, is Warwick Hill. Name for that hill where I saw the Rasta men smoking the herb up in the bush. I love and, it, man. And, and, you... and play. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 you please. You got to stop me because I talk too much. No, and, and that's awesome, you know, because I, you touched on one thing that I wanted to bring up, which was that, you know, when people think about the history of jazz in America, you know, they think about, you know, the big cities like New Orleans and New York. But what a lot of people don't realize is that so many of the musicians making music in those scenes had West Indian backgrounds, you know, especially in New York. Um, Brian, you are talking exactly the thing that hit me hard, and I speak to guys who are still with us, guys in the 80s, and, and I met most of those men when I first came to New York in the 60s, and I found special friendships with a lot of guys who had the background from Barbados, either their parents, and I, and I, I got a slew of names, which I include in my, my line of notes, the thoughts about the record, including Sonny Rollins, Winton Kelly right. from Jamaica, Randy Weston right. from Jamaica, mm-hmm. And that's Oscar Peterson from Barbados and St. Kitts. His parents, he's born in Canada. But that was the, the scene. Sonny, I said Sonny Rollins from the Virgin Islands. So I realized it was a whole natural thing. And that community has thrived and grown. So in New York now, the West Indians, you know, are a very thriving, active part of just um, hardworking people, you know, in the hospitals, in the hotels, working in. So they're all over the place, but they stay quiet. They don't say... Um, you know, they were not announcing their heritage back in the 40s. I mean, General Colin Powell. <laughs> right. He was Jamaican, you know. Jamaican, yeah, but, from the Bronx, but Jamaican, yeah. Exactly, from the Bronx, you know. And Sonny was from Harlem. Right. You know, I speak to him on the phone every so often. We talk about the old-time days and the musicians he grew up listening to. And we just have about Mr. Rollins, that is, I'm talking about. So I felt a very um, natural process here. And I'm so glad that you have all, that I'm talking to you and, you recognize this West Indian contribution. You know, Dizzy and Charlie Parker, those guys had a, a union, a team. And Dizzy got turned on to the Hispanic thing, the Spanish-speaking guys, mm-hmm. you know, Chano Pozo and 
and um, Machito and those guys, whereas Charlie Parker, who was a challenged human being struggling with his addiction, you know, he somehow hooked up with some island people and he, he played the Calypso songs like Fly Mongoose and such and such. And um, that was the two sides of these two great innovators. And the West Indian thing was, the island thing was there the whole time. And that's a big, and by the way, New Orleans, we say that's the most northern part of the Caribbean, New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And, you know, when I think, I think when a lot of people think of Jamaican music, obviously the two biggest musical exports, reggae, number one, top of the list, and ska to a certain extent. But even ska has gone through an evolution where, you know, it was played in the UK and then in New York. But can you explain to us some of the other styles um, or, you know, other musical genres that were native to Jamaica that people might not know about? Well, the first thing that kind of brought us all together uh, is, a, a, simply put, a rhythm yeah. pattern that comes from West Africa. Okay. And that's what the people who were taken against their will in the boats, you know, the slave trade, mm-hmm. they bring in their culture, you know, and the music and the rhythm that when they got involved in the, with the, the Christian church, and they're hearing the Christian songs, when they want to do the singing and the praising, they put that beat to it. And most of it, a lot of the times, it was connected to this West African rhythm, which is the same kind of beat that you hear in the Trinidad music, in the Jamaican music, in the Brazilian music, in the New Orleans uh, Professor Longhair music, because it's, it's this, um, it's, 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 it's this clave thing. And it's like, you hear it today in the reggaeton, mm-hmm. you hear it in the dance hall from Jamaica, and it's a big part of Bob Marley's songs where you hear, I, I know, and perhaps you know about Sly and Robbie, the rhythm team from Jamaica, mm-hmm. the, the, the practitioners of the, you know, folk, the, the, the grooviest rhythms you're going to find, the team, rhythm team, and Sly is always saying, man, it's, it's just mental, man, it's just mental, meaning no slick names, but it morphed into... Later on, it morphed into what we call Rocksteady, okay. where you would hear a, a, even a ballad with that beat in the background, which a lot of people came to America, you know, and when it got more troubling, challenging youth, you know, in the Bronx, you know, you know getting, you know, into trouble, and then the, the hip-hop guys came. A lot of the hip-hop thing was some of this connected to uh, the Jamaican rhythm. And right. um, we... When I listen to all of the Thelonious songs, I don't mean the ballad pieces like Round Midnight and the rest of them. I'm thinking of like, Well, You Needn't, if you know that tune. Yeah, it, sure. It, it, it go right to a dance hall beat, you know. I'm sounding, I'm going yeah. nuts here. That's right. It's a calypso. Well, Monty, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of that track. This is Well You Needn't from Monty Alexander's new album, Warwicka Hill, Rasta Monk Vibrations. Thank you. 
Hey, it's Brian again with just a few more words on Cobuzz.com. Now, you might already know that Cobuzz offers the biggest catalog of hi-fi and high-res albums in the world, both for new releases and specialized genres. But for hundreds of thousands of albums, Cobuzz also includes all the information you need to recreate the appeal of a real CD. The names of the musicians, the producers, the lyrics. There's everything you need to know to appreciate your favorite albums. Cobuzz is compatible with all types of audio equipment and also provides advice on your hi-fi equipment purchases. Not only that, but every week, Cobuzz publishes interactive articles that widen your musical knowledge. And you could even download these high-res files to listen to in offline mode so you can enjoy your music even when you you don't have internet access. Subscriptions to Cobuzz start at just $9.99 per month. Again, visit on.cobuzz.com slash jazzis to learn more. All right, now back to our interview with Monty Alexander. Monty, were there any other tunes that just seemed to lend themselves perfectly to a specific uh, Jamaican style or genre? Baya, a tune I love, which was written by Monk's good friend, the drummer Denzel Best. Okay. who was a Bajan, a Barbados guy. Okay. And he wrote that little tune. And, uh, and, and I heard that. And I said, let's, let's do it like that. And my wonderful drummer, Carl Wright, who's a real reggae guy who played with all the current guys in the reggae scene, he just put that there. The bass player put the thing there, and I said, let's go here. And every tune took on its own unique personality. And I, I didn't stop to say, oh, it's a this or it's a that. But, you know, depending on the flavor, the, 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 the spice of that particular tune and the personality of the song, it would just naturally find whatever rhythm that we applied to it. And it just became like a, what can I call it? A, 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 an explosive, um, uh, enjoyable time, you know, playing these different tunes by this master. Oh, that's very cool. Um, let's go ahead now and listen to one of the songs you just mentioned earlier. This is the tune Baya, again from Mani Alexander's new album, Warica Hill, Rastamonk Vibrations, due out August 23rd. You mentioned that you were listening to everybody, country and western, jazz, little of this, little of that. Was uh, Thelonious Monk heavy in your rotation? No, he wasn't. Oh. He was in, in heavy from a standpoint of man. No, that's, the, that's the real jazz man. No, I, you know, I fell in love with Errol Garner. Mm-hmm. Ahmad Jamal was very important to me because sure. when he played Poinciana, he put a rhythm by thanks to the drummer that was from New Orleans playing with him and the musicians with him, and he created this perfect music. I call it perfect because it's like, hey, it's 50, 60 years later, and we still levitate when we hear that particular piece. So I heard these guys that when they played, it was smooth, and it yeah. was just like 
it was just there, you know, it was the touch on the piano, whereas Monk was this crude, awkward, jaggedy, you know, nothing like Oscar Peterson or Art Tatum, but it was like, it was just raw hmm. and close to the nerves of the of of an expression. And his personality as a, a most unusual fellow is coming out in every note he's playing. And I noticed it, but I wasn't... I was I was kind of aspiring towards the sophisticated cats who played with a certain harmonic juiciness. Man, right. I'm finding words I never knew. Before. No, I love that and, harmonic juiciness. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. You know, it's like a painting, like when Duke Ellington wrote "Sophisticated Lady" and the yeah. harmony and the thing. That's magic, and you go to the piano and you try to create. Whereas Monk, he coming from a different place. He's coming from the raw earth. It's yes. like a, a crude rock, and and. It wasn't until maybe in my mid-teens that I heard a record where he's playing solo piano. I said, damn, isn't that? That guy sounds like a, a little kid plunking along, but he's going... And I had the feeling that when he played one of those incredible facile runs down the piano, yeah. that rhythmically, it seemed like he was... It sounds nuts. He's going up the piano. So everything mm. he was doing felt back to front. And you can't, I can't put you, and that's a part of the fascination of Thelonious Monk. And then I found out as the years went by that he was, eh, call it, uh, different to the extent that mentally mm-hmm. he was um, going through some changes. And, and, and so much, insofar that as the years went by, his um, condition became more challenging. Uh, you know, maybe you saw that wonderful documentary when he's straight no chase and he's spinning around in the yeah. airport. Yeah. A lot, you mm-hmm. know. That's that's not normal behavior. That's like a, a, artistic. One of those right. I've heard that said about him. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw that from the get go. But it was like slash uh, artistic, artistic. Which word is it? You know. And and I recognize mm-hmm. that. And there was this humor that the man had when he's playing. He's making you laugh your head off. At least me. I'm laughing because he's telling little jokes on the piano, but he's serious about them. And um, he's just a fascinating guy that is stand, that stands on his. Own. But I saw the humor in the man and the genius in the man. I, I mean, Sonny Rollins told me that that he was he was in awe from the get go, and, and and Monk more than anybody was his like his teacher, mentor, uh, all that. You know, so Thelonious was affecting everybody. But Miles didn't like the way he played the piano behind him. You know, so everybody was picky about certain things, and right. Thelonious just was. But this West Indian vibration was in his in his rhythm, you know, and I, I heard that and that's what I've done I've done. I'm so glad I did it and it seems like folks are receiving it in a good way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned then um, you know, growing up you were into kind of playing um, you know, in jazz clubs, you were a real showman. I want to yep. revisit this story because you moved to Miami in 1961 or two. End of 61. And it wasn't yep. long before you were spotted by Frank Sinatra, correct? It was maybe a year later, but I, somebody saw me sitting and playing somewhere and I'm going at it like I'm the you know, wild guy on the piano playing and doing what I was doing and it came out where people are enjoying it and they're giving me you know, applause when I played and hey, that, that gets into your your ego place there and the next thing you know you you're putting on a show a little bit but i i was getting getting gigs everywhere around these bars clubs where the colorful night crowd including some of them, some of them the tough guys the gangsters the hoodlums the hookers the, these joints bars you know and that's where i'm playing i didn't go to some 
heck of a music school. Right. And I'm playing all over Miami, Florida, and these are the days of, um, how can I put it, you know, you know Sinatra's and Sammy Davis, and oh, they're yeah. all performing at the Fountain Blue Hotel, and there's that Miami Beach lifestyle that's like so, oh, you know, ritzy. so yeah. ritzy, exactly, yeah. but attractive, and I love it because we were living there in the area, my mother found an apartment, and but I started wandering like I did in Kingston, wandering the streets wherever I heard music. And um, next thing I'm gigging, I'm playing here, I'm playing there. And one night there was a club, Le Bistro, where I'm playing with a trio. And um, a comedian was performing there. The first week I was there, it was Lenny Bruce, of all people. Wow. And Lenny Bruce, who would <laughs> give me a ride to the gig that we used to be at the bus stop. And I got to say hello. I didn't get to know him that well. The guy was messed up with drugs and all that and I um the following entertainer was an imitator of Sinatra and one night Frank Sinatra came in to see this guy who imitates him did impression and he heard that his friends heard me playing Jilly was his dear friend who worked with him as his uh call it you know bodyguard and you know the brother he never had mm-hmm. and Jilly hired me on Frank's recommendation and that's how I got to New York. So I, I, I may have taken away from what you were intending when you asked me that question. No, that was it. I mean, I just wanted to know the story of how, you know, you got to link up with Frank Sinatra. And that was really kind of a launching pad for you and, and your career. Um, yeah, it was a, just a, a launching pad on the one hand, but I never really took advantage of so many things that may have happened. I was, you know, I wasn't very manageable. Somebody tried to manage me and get me on the Ed Sullivan show and all that. I kind of, you know, I felt uncomfortable. And I, you know, but I, I took my most enjoyable times just being around the other musicians who I adored, you know, that were playing on albums with, you know, guys that played on all those Blue Note records, mm-hmm. you know, different musicians who Bob Cranshaw was with me the night that he had played with Lee Morgan and one of the songs was the Sidewinder and he's telling me about this tune. You know, so I'm, I'm in the jazz scene now because right. there's, in entertainment there's a fi- fine or a thick line between entertainment and the, the art form, the music because, you know, there was a time where entertainers most of the African American guys they were, they were putting on a show. When you think of Las Vegas and uh, you know how how to knock the audience out. Whereas the jazz musician, he's up there playing for the music, and I was sort of caught in the the, the world of what do I do here? And um, but the music is what. And when I met Milt Jackson and Ray Brown, I started playing with those men, and I was you know I went up several notches as far as the the meaning of this word jazz and why it was a a noble thing. And um, I um, kind of stayed out of the you know trying to be on. On in on TV, even though I was on the Merv Griffin show a couple of times, but meanwhile I'm just a sponge so- soaking up all the sounds and the life and the culture, and here I am, just turned 75 two weeks ago, D Day, 1944. <laughs> oh, well, and, congratulations, um, happy birthday! Thanks, Brian. So I um I am you know just kind of releasing some of my uh, my my fantasies here about music, and Thelonious just gave me a gift that I could take his music and, like I said, bring him to Jamaica and smoke some ganja with the Brasta man. I love it, man. I love it. Do you go back to Jamaica often or not so much? Not a whole lot. In the early days, I would make a trek down there just to keep it alive. 
and see see friends and such and that goes back 60s and 70s and eight, all through the years and then not so much for a while and in the last couple of years I went down and actually played concerts which were incredibly well attended myself and my good friend Ernest Wrangling this great guitar player who uh, was such a big you know uh, part of how the whole the best of the reggae scene happened you know mm-hmm. he helped to put the music together and he's an amazing guitar player and I received some real accolades from the Jamaican government that became commander of distinction. The government gives you these things. And, and last year, an honorary doctorate from the University of Maya of, of the West Indies. So oh, very nice. I, 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 became, I became like a character here. In, you know, how do I carry those labels? But meanwhile, I'm a little boy walking down Kingston, Kingston Town. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, and, and musically, it sounds like it was a good place to grow up. Because oh, it was great, yeah, yeah. In my house, and we had all these Nat King Cole records, and then my, m- my mother dancing in the living room to songs uh, that um, this man with this golden, beautiful voice, Nat King Cole, and I heard all the songs. And then later on, of course, I became acquainted with the Sinatra world of how to go about it. But the beginning was Satchmo. Okay, you know, I saw him perform, and and there, so I'm living the, the thrill of what. Satchmo is about, and his music, and his humor, and the way he played the trumpet, and entertain the audience, and then I'm also loving local calypso musicians that when they sang and played the naughty little risque tunes that the tourists love, I was just um, living in the two worlds, and it's been, it's, it's a bit of a curiosity where I'm always trying to put the two of them together, like when people say, where you from? I say, I'm from Jamaica, but I'm a Jamaican, you know? So, <laughs> right. Because I got a U.S. passport, but Jamaica is my roots. Yep. Right. No well, less than Bob Marley. And you can certainly hear that in, in the music um, of this latest album, Warwick Hill. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, let's say, you know, someone buys this album, listens to it, and I know they will because it's great. And they want Thank to you. explore the Jamaican side, the Jamaican influence a little bit more. Who are some of your favorite Jamaican artists? Um be it reggae, calypso, you know, if you had to give someone a primer on oh, good. the history of Jamaican music, where, where would you start? Wonderful question, and thanks for asking. Well, some of my personal collection uh, memories of people that m- made me just love it more and more, there was a man who, who <laughs> called his name Sugar Belly. Oh, yeah. Like he had a big belly <laughs> and, and sugar, and he played his homemade bamboo saxophone. He had oh, a wow. bamboo saxophone. And the reed for the saxophone was like a matchbook box. Uh, he, he shaved the matchbox so that became the reed. Wow. And he made a sound that if, if now that with all what's accessible on the internet and you put down Sugar Belly, you might find the story of Sugar Belly and hear some of his music, which, by the way, Sonny heard as a kid, as a young guy growing up. And, and that, that style is a part of his his offering when he especially when he goes into the calypso music that he loves to play that he was playing you know and um sugar belly is one of them then there was a man named lord flea f-l-e-a who wrote these calypsos a few of them that harry belafonte touched on so harry became this more digestible uh interpreter of some of those songs when he when he sang them and they were easy to enjoy and some of them were real funny songs humorous and that's what gave 
the launching to Belafonte as a as an entertainer. He was singing the Calypso. His record he made for RCA Victor in 1956. The album was called Calypso, and it outsold Elvis Presley's record that had just come out. So that music grabbed America, you know. And he was, you know, he was on television and he was singing those songs. This is my island in the sun. These type of songs, <clears throat> and there were mild versions of what Lord Flea and Sugar Belly had done with the real original versions. So those are two names. There were musicians I would go play with when I had my accordion, and that's how I learned more about it. I'd go sit there and say, come on, little boy, come play with us. And one of them was Lord Power. Okay. <laughs> Lord Power. And they'd all like, they'd like to take on these names of British royalty. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. there was a, they, they, they took that on. And, the, and, uh, and I must not forget another big, big influence for what Calypso in Jamaica were the Trinidadians. And there was a man known as... Lord Kitchener, named for the great general in in Africa uh, in Khartoum, where wars and such. And his name was Lord Kitchener, and then this Calypso guy calls himself Lord Kitchener. He was an incredible, prolific songwriter, satirical words. So that's somebody you want to listen to because that also was a part of the Jamaica uh, music life, even though it came from Trinidad. The other guy was the Mighty Sparrow, who who was an uh, incredible uh, singer, composer make you smile, make you laugh, get up and dance. And all these men I just mentioned, you brought this jovial, uplifting, uh, entertaining, fun-loving music that I saw as a kid. And and then, of course, the Rastafarians were all right over there on the side because now they come in with a deep and serious philosophy, religion. And that beat that you hear, if you hear my record, as well as if you hear some of the Rastafarian recordings, and there was a man named Count Ozzy, O-S-S-I-E. Okay. And, and the, uh, oh my gosh, what's, and the, and the uh, Mystic Revelations or something like that. And I recorded with Count, Bas- Count Ozzy as a kid. And you hear me already playing, uh, I had a band in school called Monty and the Cyclones. And I recorded for Studio One, like this is 1959, 60. And you hear an early version of what I just did with Thelonious Monk, as far as bringing the two feelings together. So I just gave you a few names from early Jamaica. I love it. That, that <laughs> were part, and then, and then when it comes to the reggae Right, thing, I was going to ask, when did that really come into the picture, you know, reggae? Well, you know, know first, I've got to stop and tell you how much I appreciate that you are asking me such pertinent and wonderful questions. I can remember a little more, because the whole thing started when American entertainers would come to Jamaica and I mean the R&B guys, of so many that I saw at the local theater, I mean Sam Cooke, Brooke Benton, Jackie Wilson, uh, Frankie Lyman. These were all pop stars in the R&B scene. And um, uh, the local Jamaicans tried to copy what they were doing, and that's how the ska started. Because right, there was okay. Louis Jordan, who was a very, very popular artist with um, the um, R&B upbeat boogie woogie kind of thing and the way the piano played that that which i knew what to do from a very young age i could do that with much conviction um that was the beginning because we were trying to copy the americans but when they copied it the result came out with this accent like like when i talk or other jamaicans talk it's english but it's got the accent the jamaican accent and the jamaican accent in the music playing the r&b rhythms and all that is what made it so when the Jamaicans said, man, that's our thing. That's our thing. You know, and it was all like a lot of great things that happened in history. A big mistake. 
to me is a hybrid mistake. It mm-hmm. shouldn't have been that, but it was. Because people who love that culture, the lifestyle, the freedom thinking, or that, you know, the singers sang about. But the first guy who made it hit the airwaves, would you believe, was an American rhythm and blues singer, Johnny Nash. Uh-huh. You remember that name? Uh, it does ring a bell, certainly. But Johnny Nash was a very popular rhythm and blues singer. He came out of Houston, Texas. He was on Columbia, and they sent him on a tour to the island, and he came to Jamaica with his manager, and Johnny fell in love with Jamaica and the local beautiful ladies of Jamaica, and he made a home there, and he recorded songs that were strong with the Jamaican feeling, and he recorded, among other songs, two of Jimmy Cliff's original tunes. I can see clearly. You've heard that, right? Oh, I yeah. can see clearly. Oh, yeah. And that's Jimmy Cliff, but, but Johnny Nash, who was also in the movies with Sidney Poitier, uh, Blackboard Jungle, I remember. And um, he came and made these recordings, a song called Steer It Up, which was another Bob Marley, Steer It Up. And then he recorded um, um, Guava Jelly, all these songs that kind of sexual uh, uh, vibrations on them. And he started it, and he hired to join him as an opening act when he toured in Europe, none other than a guy who was just playing the guitar and singing songs solo, Bob Marley. Wow. And Bob went to Europe as an opening act for Johnny Nash. And little by little by little, Johnny, uh, Bob Marley's uh, philosophies and talents, and he met Peter Tosh, and they formed that band, the Whalers, and one thing led to another, and there you have it. But Johnny Nash, the first guy, put it on the map. And um, as a kid, I would sneak out the house of home and go down down the road where there was a an area where people had a, what's called a sound system, and they'd bring it's like the DJs of today, but they'd bring their speakers and on the truck, right. and take the speakers and put them in the in the little area, and people on a Friday or a Saturday night start dancing, and you hear that music coming all over Kingston, boom boom, loud loud loud, the bass driving, the drum beat driving, and it would be ska. And then little by little, it got the rock steady scene with all the artists. And there are legions of these guys with funny names, you know. And um, and then it led up to, you know, a world love for this music. But yet, I noticed that a lot of people who would love jazz, Coltrane and Miles and all that people, they were kind of also loving, for example, Bob Marley's music. And they'd have it in a record collection, but it wasn't quote-unquote jazz. So it never, it wasn't the same thing. But here I am, bold and saying, this is this is a part of the whole thing. And I've done records where I made tributes to Bob Marley and um, in, interpretations of a lot of his songs and other albums. So this now is uh, is a 19, 2019 uh, offering coming from me. Yeah. yeah, and that's what's so amazing about you, Monty, is that you, you have been you know, around through a lot of the evolution of Jamaican music and watched it spread, you know, all over the world through jazz here in the United States and hip hop here, especially in the United States. Are you kind of keen on what's going on in the United Kingdom now with a lot of young jazz musicians from West Indian backgrounds making this amazing mix of jazz and hip hop and, you know, uh, reggaeton, uh, people like Shabaka Hutchings and you know, Theon Cross. I am yeah. very excited about it. And I've, in fact, three weeks, four weeks ago, I played at Ronnie Scott's where I've been going from the 70s. And I see more and more people of West Indian heritage showing up 
to the music to the to the gig and um I've seen that whole that growth and which started of all people you may have heard of Chris Blackwell who started Iron Records and signed Bob Marley back in the early 70s mm-hmm. and um Chris Blackwell is a British born Jamaican and he fell in love with the whole Jamaican music as much as he loved British rock because he had you know Eric Clapton and Traffic and all these big names Steve uh, I forgot his last name one of those uh, part, part of those early rock groups and um Chris Blackwell who's still alive and with us his um he was like he brought some of that downtown Kingston it was like same up in Harlem. That's 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 when I said downtown Kingston. That's where you hear the dub music coming. Yeah, yeah. And he had the the genius to get his little station wagon and pack it full of seventy eight records of just released uh, Jamaican recordings with the ska mostly. And there was a song that he also included there that was the first big hit in England called My Boy Lollipop. And it was a young Jamaican girl, Little Millie. She was about 16 years old, and she recorded that little song. It became a big, big hit with the British people. And this is like, this is like 67, 1968, somewhere around there. And that whole thing spread into the community, the area where the Jamaicans were living, and it it started so much so where some of the British young musicians from the punk scene. Yep picked up on it, and they tried to play it. And, and I, I don't mean the West, I mean the, the white English guys yep. that were playing. You know, they picked up on it. They loved it. They loved it. And it became a real presence with the scene. And then years and years go by, and it's still alive. And where you yep. just mentioned a name that, no, I got to go check because I never heard the person's name, Shakika Hutchings. Who yeah, Shabaka Hutchings. Mm-hmm. Shabaka Hutchings. Well, I tell you, I got to go because I, I don't remember the name. You know, they're always talented people coming out of the woodwork. So I'm not up. I mean, I knew Courtney Pine, who yeah. was who was big, you know, also trying to hold on to his Jamaican heritage, which he's done, you know, and to be appreciated very much. And there are others that I have the opportunity to invite to join me. In fact, just now I had a fabulous trombone player, a wonderful jazz man named Dennis Rollins, and his people are Jamaican, but he got that British accent. He's very proper, proper, all that from England. And he played with, with me for some gigs, and it was just a ball, you know, because we related to each other about the jazz scene, but also old Jamaica. And um, I've preserved those memories, as you can hear. I'm talking to you and feeling happy to share all my my thoughts and I'm going a mile a minute with it. So I just had some coffee, by the way. So No, and, <laughs> and we are so happy that you are, man, because, um, like I mentioned, this is, this is a very exciting project. And uh, you. you bring obviously a lot of expertise, musical expertise, and you know some of that showmanship that you were talking about from you know some of these yeah. early ska, and but that that just like spiritual rhythmic element from reggae. Thank so you. it's just a beautiful combination, man. And and this Monty was was such a great conversation. Which track would you like to play play us out from the new album? Man, there is um, I love Mysterioso, the first. Uh, musical track because the first thing on the record is just drums going up Warica Hill it's called and you hear the drums the Naya Bingi beat and then right away I go into Mysterioso and um, that's a nice one where I introduce Lee Morgan the vibrations of Sidewinder to a, a, a musician named Don Drummond who was the greatest trombone player 
uh, on the whole scene. And Mysterioso features those two situations and melded well together. Mysterioso it is. I love it. We're going we're gonna to wrap up with that. And, I enjoyed uh, my time with you, Brian. Oh, this was excellent, man. Monty, listen, <laughs> I do a lot of these. And, you know, talking to someone of your expertise, of your knowledge, you know, your experience is just a real pleasure for me, man. It absolutely Thank is. Thank you very, very much. Monty, you have an excellent day and a great weekend, sir. I wish you more than that, brother. Thank you very much. that i'd like to thank this episode's sponsors they include smoke sessions records a label that just released a new record by drum legend al foster it's called inspirations and dedications you can check it out online at smokesessionsrecords.com thanks also to blue note records they're currently celebrating their 80th anniversary with a bunch of cool musical initiatives to check out everything they've got going on visit bluenote.com And thank you to ECM Records, which this year celebrates its 50th anniversary. They've got a new concert recording of Keith Jarrett playing solo Bach from 1987. To learn more about that album and all the other great stuff coming out on ECM, visit ecmrecords.com. Another big thanks to the online streaming service Deezer. We regularly curate playlists on this platform. To check out our latest, visit deezer.com and search for Jazz Is. Our playlists also appear on cobuzz.com. This is a high-res streaming service that is the premier destination for audiophiles looking to stream music online. Visit cobuzz.com to learn more. Another thanks to jazzradio.com, featuring more than 35 channels of curated jazz music for free online. Visit jazzradio.com to check it out. Thanks also to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey, on the calendar for them in November. A performance by Chaka Khan. It's taking place November 14th. For tickets and more info, visit njpac.org. That's njpac.org. Thanks also to Quest TV, the world's first subscription video on-demand platform dedicated to jazz. It's an online library of jazz concert videos and feature documentaries that has been called the Netflix of jazz. It was started in part by Quincy Jones and has both free and premium memberships. Visit quest.tv to learn more. That's Q-W-E-S-T TV to learn more. Lastly, we'd like to thank the U.S. Navy Band Commodore's Jazz Ensemble, currently celebrating their 50th anniversary. They've got concert dates around the country. If you want to catch them in action, visit our website and click the Navy Band Commodore's banner. All right, that'll do it for me, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass. We'll see you next time.